The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. They're horrible, gossipy stories, aren't they? But I guess the Buckleys were in many ways such a public couple. The front page, really? Well, it's kind of who cares. It is sort of interesting, but the front page elevates it, I think, to some sort of scandal status. I found the perfect person to unite Melbourne and Sydney and remind us all of what beautiful places we all live in. And his name, Corrie, is, and he's long dead, Arthur Streeton. And I was wondering, was there a rock or movie icon who influenced your clothing back in the day? Well, not the conical bra. You would have rocked a conical Uh, bra. I was dreaming, but definitely um, Diane Keaton in Annie Hall. Do I want a patchwork quilt made of Caro's old masks that she's had around her face? No, but you've washed them and soaked them and (laughs) sterilised them. We've got some beautiful material. What about all the lipstick marks? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 155 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my good friend, Corrie Perkin, who's getting very busy as Christmas fast approaches. G'day, Corrie. G'day, Caro. Busy, busy, busy. And um, I'm back from Sydney with lots to report. Happy to be back in Melbourne, although no one told me that winter had returned, but there you go. I missed the memo. Um, We're going to be going to the cocktail cabinet. You've got a crush. I am extremely grumpy about something that something that was fantastic and people have tried to talk it down. More of that later. We've got a lot to talk about. And first of all, I just want to thank everybody who's corresponded over the last week as usual. I loved Chris's email, Corrie. Hi, lovely ladies. Love this week's pod. Can't wait to make the zucchini fritters, Corrie. Mm. Your hot suggestion has been a very, very popular suggestion. Well, they're just so easy to make, Chris. So um, in the show notes for those who missed out, last week's episode 154, zucchini fritters. And um, Chris Chris also points out they are fabulous. I've had them, I can attest. Um, Chris reckons that we're only really comparing eastern suburbs views and not that of all Sydney ciders. And look, I did spend, I did spend, my sister obviously lives in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, as does my brother, but I did venture over north and I've got some wonderful things to report from there. But she points out not all of us live within views of Sydney Harbour. She's an hour from Sydney Centre and Melbourne's laneways shopping nightlife are the envy of most Sydney ciders she knows. So there you go. Thank you, Chris. And Keach39 via Insta just said to say that she totally loves the high-low as well, Corrie, and it's very sad it's going. But she's also loving um, Dolly Alderton's Love Stories podcast. Yes, well, we're very sad that the high-low has uh, gone to God. The last episode is available for those who haven't discovered Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. And, Caro, can I just say a quick hello and a huge thank you to the many potties who are making their way to the bookshop in Hawksburn to do their Christmas shopping. In the last week, I've had people from Ivanhoe, potties from Geelong, another couple of girls from Ballarat. Honestly, Carol, we could go up to Ballarat and maybe pack out the town hall the way... way. There's so much love up there for Don't Shoot the Messenger. It's fantastic. And I also had a 
a, someone from northern New South Wales who was in Melbourne visiting grandchildren who came into the shop because her Melbourne family had told her to listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger because she loves footy. So to all of that gang and everybody else, a big thank you for buying books, whether from me or whether from any other independent bookshop. Thanks heaps. We have a huge show, Cara, but first I want to get into Sydney in review. Well, I found um, after we recorded last week's podcast, I found the perfect person to unite Melbourne and Sydney and remind us all of what beautiful places we all live in. And don't worry, there are plenty of Melbourne and Sydney people who totally agree with this. His name, Corrie, is and is long dead Arthur Streeton. I went to the opening of a, a sort of a, a special opening of the exhibition that opened last week at the New South Wales National Gallery. I urge anyone who's thinking of taking a holiday in Sydney to go. It's open up until – it runs up until Valentine's Day. Never has anybody captured the beauty of both Melbourne and Sydney as well as Arthur Streeton did. And the story, one of the um, senior executives at the Gallery of New South Wales spoke to us before, the, before we had a viewing. His name's Wayne – Tunnicliffe. And he gave the most brilliant speech and he's done this wonderful book about Streeton. But, you know, he basically squatted around Eaglemont, you know, with all the other Heidelberg School fellows, including Tom Roberts, of course, and Condor. Fred, Fred and, McCubbin. And for three or four years, some of the paintings of that time, those three or four summers, you think this is just so absolutely incredible. I mean, he was like Mozart. He was about 19. You know, he was such a prodigy. Then, of course, he went to Sydney and the, the harbour paintings, Coogee and Mossman and um, McMahon's Point, obviously the famous one, but they're so beautiful. And the cigar box shaped ones he did, one of an Australian, I said to a friend, is that a are they goalposts I can see? I didn't have my glasses on. He said, Caro, look at the name of the painting, the national game. There are so, And then, of course, the period in Egypt and Venice when he finally married the beautiful Nora, the, the Canadian violinist who made him work all the way through their honeymoon in Venice and he was a bit nervous, but because he could do Sydney Harbour and he could do the Yarra, he knew how to do water so well. Um, and how he ne- his later work was never really appreciated and yet some of those later paintings. There was one of Mount Donabuang, a beautiful green, and then he painted it as he predicted it would look by the year 2000. He almost predicted climate change. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. The most extraordinary thing I think about Arthur Streeton is, uh, Caro, that he his paintings really feel like Turner, like, like classic Turner, the wonderful British... Um, painter. And yet it wasn't until he, well after Heidelberg School, well after Bamora Speech and all of his Australian experiences, he actually travelled to England and was able to see a Turner in the flesh, yet he was channelling that. And so Tom Roberts and Fred McCubbin, to a lesser extent, they re- their paintings were, were full narrative. They told a story and they really captured that kind of early settler experience. Arthur Streeton was completely impacted by the Australian light, which is like no other, and yet he has this Turner-esque way about him, which um, which just sings. His paintings sing. They are so beautiful. I can't wait to see that exhibition. And he struggled wait. in London, obviously, because he got there and he sort of wasn't famous anymore and he there was no real point of difference and he struggled to sell paintings early on. But then he started sending the paintings he did in England home and he started to 
make money and then he'd look it, it's a brilliant I reckon there'd be there's a, a movie place in, in Turek his story. and then ended up in a linda I think from memory yes yeah. well he had both he, he he died at a linda and had that beautiful garden great garden and some of the gardening the the um still lifes and flower paintings mm. towards the a end touch of monet there too and the the the, one of my favourites was him and I think guess Nora sitting in Grange Road, Turak, where they lived. I mean, I'd, if only that house was still there. So, anyway. Caro, give us your best um, best eating out experience in Sydney. I imagine there was a little bit of that happening last week. Oh yeah, we well you know everything is Justin Hems. I mean, what restaurant hasn't he taken over? And they're all fabulous. I had lunch in the city at Totties, and I went twice to the Centennial Hotel, where which is one of my always been one of my brother's favourite places. And when my sister had her baby girl, India, I remember we had dinner there that night. But Justin's taken that over too. Food's amazing. But I reckon the mo and we went to um, a place called the 18-footers, which is this great sort of club down on Double Bay where you catch the ferry from and, um, you know, had a fabulous piece of fish there. But I think my favourite is a series of new places that they've opened up on various wharfs and bays and harbours and um, it's in marinas called, um, they're all got the name Bear and this one I think was called the Navy Bear and it's down on Rushcutters Bay where the Sydney to Hobart sets off and just a series of wooden tables, fabulous coffee, fabulous breakfast, fabulous salads and burgers and stuff for lunch. There's so one at Clontarf. As, as in B-E-A-R. B-E-A-R, as in, you know, Paddington. And um, <laughs> there's one in, I think, Mossman, yeah, Clontarf. There's, they're everywhere. But but the one in Rushcutters is quite new. And inside it's like this beautiful sort of there's a whaler's bar and a funny old library. Oh, absolutely brilliant. So, yeah. Sydney do seaside interiors really well. They're never daggy. They're never naff. They're very stylish. And the exterior is there for all to see. That's no, right. no. Look, exactly. it was it was a great so, holiday. So welcome back to Melbourne. Well, we can go cold. anywhere now. As we sit here today, yes. we can even go to WA. We Isn't can. it exciting? Yeah. Except if, if if you're if you're a South Australian listener, you can't go to WA. But I picked up. I'm, I'm interested in in your good local tips. We haven't done good local tips for a while, but there's two I want to discuss. Every people listening will go, oh, duh. But my sister told me this the other day. You know how you pay ex- extraordinary amounts of money for a candle? You can buy candles for like $500 and you go, well, what's the point? You know, because then it runs out and and even those beautiful little ones for $70. But I didn't know if you put, once you'd finished with it, if you put it in the freezer, you can get rid of every single bit of burnt and residual wax. Really? And they become a beautiful glass. Oh, really? I there didn't you go. know that. Or a vase. Speaking of good local tips, Corrie, what are we going to do with all the masks? The beautiful, stylish masks we've collected over the last few months. Well, the dangerous thing is that the, the surgical and the disposable ones are actually not uh, recyclable. They don't biodegrade. They are really bad for our environment. So just beware of this if you are trying to get rid of your um, disposable masks, please, everybody, cut the ear hooks, the ear cords, because there have been instances where these have ended up in the seawater and lakes and rivers and animals and fish are getting stuck in them um, and, and they're getting entwined and caught. So that's one thing that everybody can do. But uh, I thought you were going to tell me about a patchwork quilt or something. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I'm just I'm really worried about. I, I see them a lot in our village 
Caro, and I'm oh, not, suge- I'm not suggesting, isn't it? At the well, local I'm not suggesting park. people just yep. drop them. They just fall out of people's pockets. You know, you go to get your car keys or something, and your mask will fall out. How how often has that happened to all of us? But it, it really is. Uh, I, I notice it a lot in the city that they're just they're everywhere. So I really urge people to just um, be very diligent about how you get rid of these. In terms of the fabric ones. I hate to be a spoiler here, but I think hold on to them because the chances of us having another wave of this thing next year, it may not be, hopefully not to the same extent and causing such mayhem and tragedy, but uh, I would just hold on to your (laughs) fabric masks for a little while longer. Sorry to be a downer. Don't start working on the patchwork quilt. Don't start yet on the patchwork quilt. Well, we need to carry them everywhere we go because um, we still have to wear them in... Do I, want a, do I want a patchwork quilt made of Caro's old mask that she's had around her face? Well, no, but you've washed them and soaked them and sterilised them. We've got some beautiful material. You've what about all some... the lipstick marks? Well, I'll, I'll make you, you know what, I'll make you one out of all my different tiger masks. I bet Corrie, you don't. what about that? <laughs> anyway, um, we still have to carry them either around our wrist or in our bags or around our neck because a lot of places, a lot of Sydney people said to me, we've just come back from Melbourne, well, about three people said this, what is wrong with you people? You're still all wearing masks. I said, well, some people just... But also until this past weekend, we were still obliged to in certain spots. But outside uh, people are just used to it and we they, have it's a, we, easier. We have a very interesting dilemma here. With uh, it, it said the, the, re, the government regulation or suggestion is that masks are still worn in places such as supermarkets and so on and some retail centres such as big malls like Eastland or Chadston or whatever... What about in a bookshop? What about in a suburban frock shop? Or uh, no, you, you don't know, have to. You don't. Well, well, that's an interesting dilemma for us as the owner of the business because you know you want to keep your staff safe, you want to keep your customers safe. Someone has a coughing fit, everybody's ears prick up. It's very complicated, and ha- you can't say to people, "Please put your mask on anymore," because we're not obliged to do that. But we do have a sense of our own personal safety plus our responsibility to our customers. It's a very interesting dilemma. Oh, I just thought you wouldn't wear masks anymore. No, well, my my friend Chris Redfern, who owns the Avenue Bookstores, there are three of them around Melbourne. We were talking about this yesterday, and so he has said to his staff, "Look, you could." be careful how you say to someone. The staff still want to wear their masks to protect themselves, but Chris's thing is, you know, just be a bit careful about how we approach this with customers if they come in not wearing their masks because the last thing you want is an altercation with someone who says, I don't have to wear a mask in here. But they do, but It's complicated. Oh, I thought it was clear cut. I thought you didn't have to wear masks in small shops It says shops retail. Anymore. No, well, it, say, it doesn't say small shops that I can see. It doesn't specifically say... It says some retail, so it's just. So you you will want people to wear masks in your shop. Well, we have no right to ask them, but I think. No, but what I, do you want? Well, I want the staff to be wearing a mask for sure, so at least oh. everyone they're protected. And yeah, because imagine if there's an outbreak, Carol, and it comes back to my bookshop on the tenth of December, and six people caught the virus. I mean. I've just but all kills, the shops I've been in. It kills your business. Yeah, but I've been to a lot of shops in the last few days, and no one's wearing masks. Yeah, I know. Well, it'll be interesting to see over the next week or two how we handle this. That's all. But it's a really interesting dilemma. And of course, Melbourne. Since you've been away, everybody must have been on an aeroplane with you going up north because it has been a very quiet city. I think a lot of people are travelling interstate to see family they haven't seen, grandchildren or ageing parents, the like. A lot of people have hit the road and said we're going to have a holiday because we haven't had one all year. 
There has been no one around. I ran into a lot of Melbourne people in Sydney. I must say, I tell you where else, they've gone to the seaside destinations off of schoolies. Oh, my Lord. The Mornington Peninsula, and I think the surf coast as well, was last weekend. Yeah, well, there are a couple of, Overrun big, couple of big fights I heard down one of those regions. Oh, the bottles it's and the terrible. cans and the, and the, you know, dare I say, the snack, snapdagger panthers. I mean, very annoying. So, Carol, I was wondering about any COVID-related changes to Christmas, Christmas Day, New Year, the lead-up, cocktail parties. Oh, thing of the past, gone forever. <laughs> and summer holidays. Is there a, you have, have you got a different attitude toward all of these different moments? Absolutely none, except right. I'm really going to enjoy them because it'll be so nice to have family together again. No, I think it's You're not great. taking any precautions or anything? Nope. See, I, mentally I feel a bit, I still feel a bit fragile, I have to be absolutely honest with you. Do you? Oh, no, yeah, I don't. We, I haven't, do. we haven't had one community case in Victoria for over a month now. But mine's more a social anxiety. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so a, a group of us went to the pub for dinner on Saturday night, and um, only six of us a group. That makes it sound like I've got three hundred friends. Um, so, you know, we were, we went in with masks and all of this sort of stuff, and that was all good. And the the pub was pretty packed. People obviously have to sit down. This is before Sunday, so people still had to sit down and so on. But there are a lot of people coming in and out, and I felt anxious. And as I was sitting there having my dinner, I thought, why am I feeling anxious? I felt quite on edge and I thought, it's people and it's chatting and it's socialising. It's weird. It's weird. You're the only person, you and Miss Jane are the only people I've chatted to for nine months. And then all of a sudden you're in a social setting. That's a slight exaggeration. We've we've had a game of Scrabble with our friend Mindy. We've done lots. <laughs> That's a bit different to being in a pub with 150 people. I yeah. do. Uh, Jane's nodding. I think Miss Jane also feels this anxiety. Do you, Jane? You look pretty anxious to me. No, I do, Corrie. It just is. I, I was at school pickup the other day and for the first time parents could come in and it was like way too many people, too many kids. It was just physically it's, uncomfortable. We're just not used to it. it I, I think my cue came on the plane flying to Sydney, which was, you know, a 6pm Friday flight. It was absolutely packed. It was there was not one spare seat on the plane. Can you imagine? Everyone's wearing masks, and yet I'm cheek by jowl with all these other people. And then they served like, you know, um, drinks and bar snacks. So everybody took their masks off. <laughs> Interestingly, that you all everyone was given free alcohol, and if you wanted a glass of wine or beer or sparkling or whatever, and I thought, well, this is. Very strange. You know, um, I spent Sunday, I went round to my aunt's to play bridge with um, mum and her two sisters and my cousin Georgie. We had the best day. We were there. We left at about eight o'clock and later and it was an all-day affair. Sounds and, like a blast. And several people confessed during the day, I'm... I miss COVID. I'm, I miss being able to just stay at home and have a night. You know, it, it, it is. It, I think that's what people are finding hard too, getting used to going out again more than the fear of catching oh, anything. Exactly. Not to mention putting all the leisure suits away in the bottom drawer for next time. Caro, uh, it, it is very pleasing though to read the figures of people travelling, particularly around Victoria, trying to get a mini break before Christmas and indeed booking places. I've heard that there are different resorts, coastal towns and so on that are completely booked out until February. And indeed, my uh, my getaway to Port Ferry, which is now on its um, fourth um, 
incarnation, maybe fifth, uh, is now in February, late February, and we're going to be lucky to get a room there. But that's all great. And I just wanted to mention Click for Vic. Of course, they're great supporters and sponsors of our little podcast. And if you are thinking of travelling locally, hitting the road and going somewhere in Victoria, I recommend highly their accommodation uh, participants and small businesses. You just go on Click for Vic and look up where to eat or where to stay or uh, national parks, caravan parks, that sort of thing, and you'll find um, you'll find what you're looking for. And Caro and Miss Jane, you know how I'm going to have an olive oil tasting sometime in summer. My third bottle from Click for Vic arrived this week, and it's from the lovely people at Oak Dean on the Bellarine Peninsula, just out of Geelong, and I have ordered well, it arrived, the Lighthouse Olive Oil one litre bottle. It's the medium fruit, fruitiness I've chosen. So that's another amazing thing. And all of this paraphernalia came in the beautifully designed box. Uh, I'm just loving Click for Vic. I can't get enough of it. And well, Miss you- Jane, you've got a big box of Click for Vic there in front of you. Well, we must um, say hello to the Melbourne-based team from Tis the Box. Now, Caro, I'm going to pass this Tis the Box over to you. They were actually, um, I mean, who starts a business in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> but Liz and the team decided to. This is a kind of big thing in America. I hear it a lot on podcasts. It's a subscription box. This is the summer box, Caro. So if you'd like to dig into there, basically there are four boxes a year and the team go around the world and they find all these great um, items and so you get seven full-size products valued at over $345 for just $89.95 and they can ship anywhere. So basically you choose if you want to just get one box as a tester or you can try it, sign up as a seasonal or annual subscriber to save dollars. But the concept is that this box arrives every season with a different season reflected in the items and you have all these amazing products that just arrive on the doorstep. So incredibly, the box. <laughs> incredibly indulgent. But well, there's a NeoGen Metal Maxi Maxi Cara, which is one of those mascaras with the extra volume. There's a beautiful Santorini Blue Herringbone Throw. Lovely. I always think of Kath and Kim. <laughs> throw. I'm so overthrown. <laughs> An electric toothbrush, Carol. Yeah, the Sonic toothbrush, which wow. retails at $105. This is like a show bag. Blueberry masks, box. the Oompy cocktail shaker. No, it looks amazing, Jane. Oh, looks we might fabulous. need the Oompy next week for our um, Coconut Tony. bowl, that's another Oompy product. No, it sounds like a great initiative. So thanks to the team, they sent it through to us and just said, look, part of, um, they you know got featured in the Click for Vic lift out recently. So if you want all the details, tisthe.com. We'll put the links in the show notes and of course um, keep going with your Click for Vic suggestions. Uh, Anita actually said she just spent some time down at Apollo Bay and was really enthused by everything she saw down there as uh, part of the COVID sort of normal. Except for the snakes on the walking tracks which I have (laughs) encountered too around my side. The other thing I should mention if you want to feel good about Victoria Corrie and what a beautiful place it is, just have a look at the Visit Victoria beautiful commercial advertisement, which has been filmed by our friend, the brilliantly talented Paris Thompson. It is unbelievable. Is it on the telly? It's, yeah, a website. There's a, okay. a abbreviated version on the telly. But that is Click for Vic. As we said, let you know about, let us know about your recommendations and Click for Vic suggestions. Email feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. And Click for Vic, remember, if you just visit Victoria, you go to visitvictoria.com forward slash Click for Vic. So then you can do either do it that way or follow the links on our show notes. So, Caro, last week when you were away, I sent you a little text 
saying what the hell or virtually what the hell because on the front page of the Herald Sun was the announcement of the um, the end of the marriage of uh, Nathan Buckley, Collingwood coach, and his wife Tanya after I think it was 18 years. And my question to you was, does this deserve to be on the front page? Well, of the Herald Sun, of course it does, because it's a classic Herald Sun story and everybody's been talking about it ever since. So that's an exaggeration. A lot of people have been talking about it. It's funny, you know, I mean, obviously most people in the football media have known for several, well, at least a year that um, the Buckley's marriage was over and uh, I think that it was reported it happened in January. Remember last year I was very critical of a, a gossip piece in the Herald Sun talking about an AFL legend and his marital issues, and I just hate that. They don't name people, but they, if you're not going to name them, then don't write about it, in my view. Well, that was clearly the – well, I reckon it was clearly the Buckleys. And um, I think it's sort of it, – it's come off the back of a series of unfortunate events that have happened at the Collingwood Football Club, culminating a couple of weeks ago or a week ago in the resignation or retirement of Jeff Walsh, the head of football, who was – going to leave and then had been convinced to stay and then left again. So, look, obviously there have been so many issues at that footy club. We know that even the members for the first time seem to be putting Eddie Maguire under a bit of pressure in his presidency. Harold's son have turned on him. They're horrible, gossipy stories, aren't they? But I guess the Buckleys were in many ways such a public couple and um, the births of their children, Jet and Ace, and, um, the you know, several moves that they did. And, and she had an IVF journey which yep. she was quite public about I I think it was it was a fine effort on both their part to release such a uh, meaningful and tender I would suggest statement in respect of their marriage and their years together but I just I, the front page really I know. Well, it's kind of who cares it is sort of interesting but the front page elevates it I think to some sort of scandal status it's extra- which it's not it's, it's just a marriage breakup and we've got to think of kids and everybody recovering and but but it has all those sort of um sexy sexy sort of cameos all the way through don't they the, the tennis game with his mate Brenton Sanderson and Alicia Mollick the road trip back from Queensland with Brendan Sanderson, his assistant coach and close mate, um, Tanya's various um, companies that she's had in the past. There's, it, there's all, and, and obviously the Nathan Buckley transformation from hard-edged perfectionist player and coach to a giving, caring, sharing coach, and the you know the really disappointing year Collingwood had this year. I think you know it's been a tough few years for him, and obviously people at Collingwood would have been well aware of, um, you know, what has been going on. But, um, yeah, look, very tough when you live your life in the public eye like that. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm sure there's more to come, Corrie. Mm, well, I'll be interested to see how what how things unfold off-season with Collingwood. Um, and now, Caro, we have the cocktail cabinet. Yes, it's that time of the week again, folks. We're entering the cocktail cabinet, thanks to Prince Wine Store, bringing Melbourne's greatest wine in the world. Remember, visit princewinestore.com.au. A subject close to my heart today, Corrie, and not one close to yours, we're here to talk about rosé. How do you feel about that? Well, pretty unexcited, but I think, Tony, you're going to try and convince me. You have some very nice bottles in front of you. Tony Newell from Prince Wine Store is here. Tony, thanks for coming in. Great to see you again. Now, you've got a fabulous deal, which we're going to talk about in a moment, um, Prince Wine Store's top Aussie rosé picks, and you're going to talk about them. But 
I didn't know that this existed. You have brought in just to show us the best rosé in the world. That is a big statement. I have. Um, and rosé, this wine is a bit unique in that it is sort of the benchmark considered by everybody that's really into wine as the best rosé in the world. So there, it's not really, there's not many other wines where there's a definitive wine which is, you know, unanimously considered to be the best of its variety and the best no of its argument. in the world. No argument. But this particular wine that I was just mentioning to you, it's called Domaine Tompierre and it's from the Provence and it's a a family been making wine for over 100 years and they make rosé from the Mouvedre grape variety and it's just beautiful, um, delicate, elegant wine, but it's got great intensity, balance and length, lifted acidity and it is definitively the most fantastic rosé that that anyone can ever find. Would Corey like it? I, I would... I would happily wage money on the fact that if we if we serve this up to Corrie in the right circumstances that she would like this wine. Even well, how, well she... how about we do double and double or nothing on my parking meter because you said you were going to fill up my car when you leave today. More than happy to. I am so confident so in this wine. So it's either four bucks I owe you or eight bucks you owe me. <laughs> um, I'm so confident in this 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 wine. Really? You being a non-raiser drinker, I'm sure that you Tony, would like it. Tony, I like most varieties. I'll, I'll probably hold back on a heavy Shiraz, but I, I've often I've found over the years that rosé is a bit sweet for me. It's a bit like lolly water. Caro laughs, but I call it sort of fairy water. It's not or fairy sweet cordial. at all. It's not. I mean, obviously the that, old but, well, sweet. Can you t- but... I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the wine expert behind the cocktail cabinet. <laughs> um, well, that that's actually would that be the... a fair assumption. No, Tony? that is a totally fair assumption. And the problem. Thank you, Tony. The problem in Australia was for too many years that the winemakers that were making rosé, and I'm sort of talking back sort of 10, 15 years ago, they will always leave residual sugar in the wines, and they'd make them sweet because that's what they thought the consumer wanted. But as times went by and more Australian people were travelling overseas and more people actually went to France and other countries make rosé too, but but Provence is the home of rosé, and they started drinking these beautiful dry rosés with structure and really nice minerality, they realised that that's what the Australian consumer would actually like. So a few years ago, all the Australian winemakers started emulating these style of wines with always bone dry finish, so no residual sugar in the wine at all. And and then all of a sudden we realised that the great rosé can be amazing if it's dry. So this French bottle that you've bought, this uh, pinnacle, this Richmond Football Club of the rosé world. Domaine Tompier. But is, Richmond uh, don't that, win the flag every year, Corrie. Domaine Tompier always wins. So this is available at Prince Wine Store, though? The, not right now. Not so right unfortunately, now. because this is a, such a limited wine, what will happen is the importer of this wine, who I know that's based in Sydney, will import as much as he can get of this wine, and then, and then we at the Prince will buy an allocation of this wine. It might be a few dozen. And that wine will become available and it will sell out really quickly. So it's only about seventy dollars a bottle. It's about seventy retail a bottle, and and I know personally because my wife is obsessed with this wine, and we have to buy two dozen a year minimum. And and two dozen doesn't it doesn't normally get through summer because we we like it so So much. So what time of the year should potties be? Watching the Prince Wine Store for this wine. It's, to it's come. in winter. It's normally okay. in winter. It arrives. It, the, the timing could vary depending on shipping and, and and those sort of things. But it's around that time. But it's the sort of thing that it, you could you could contact Michael at the Prince and say, Michael, I need you to let me know when Domaine Tompierre Bandol Rosé is released and next year. And he's twenty bucks under the counter to just put a couple <laughs> of extra beside aside for me. So tell us about these um, lovely lovely labels on a couple of these. So yeah, we've got particularly a, the Fairbank. These I really your, love that. These are the top Aussie rosé picks. Exactly. So the Prince have actually done uh, some major tastings on rosé because all the rosé wines are sort of released at sort of the tail end of winter, the new wines from the season. So most of the 2020 rosés are available now. And the Prince went through everything that they could find. And this is their top 
three picks at the moment, and and we've got special pricing all the wine. So the first one is a really local one called Medhurst from the Yarra Valley, yep. um, and it's made from Cabernet and Shiraz, and you can see the real pale colour, and it's similar to that colour there because the thing with rosé is basically the reason the colour's so light is that when they're pressing the grapes, they actually remove the juice from the skin very quickly to, to so it's got a very light colour. Um, and so, yeah, like really nice fruit intensity, but bone dry, really elegant finish. Um, and this one, this this wine is twenty nine dollars, but at the moment we're doing it at twenty four for for our podcast listeners today. Wow! So that's the tw- two thousand and twenty Medhurst. Christmas spirit comes to Prince. And exactly. when you say the same colour as that, you're pointing to the Domaine Tompier. So it's that's a similar, right. pa- lovely pale, pale, yep. almost pale, pale strawberry, isn't it? People often describe describe it as onion skin, but um, it's just yeah, it's that really pale, very yep. pale sort of colour. Um, the next wine we have today is a wine um, called Fairbank from Sutton Grange Vineyard in um, central Victoria. Um, and this is actually the 2019 rosé. And this rosé is actually made with a combination of a few other varieties to give it a bit more structure and intensity. So there's some Sangiovese in there. There's some Viognier, also Cabernet and Shiraz. Um, and this one, this one is made by a lovely uh, lady winemaker called Melanie Chester, who is started working at this winery only a couple of years ago, and she's turned it around from sort of being a middle-of-the-road sort of commercial winery into making really interesting handmade boutique sort of wine. So she's really turned that winery around. Um, so this one is normally $28, but we can offer it for 23 today. I like the sound of this one. I like the sound of this um, one. And the yep. next one is actually, and you can see by the label, this one's a bit sort of modern and funky. This is actually um, from a Clarenvale, and it's a really um, interesting brand. It's called Brash Higgins, and it's actually an American sommelier came to Australia and hooked up with a lady who owns some vineyards. And they make a, quite a few different wines in terracotta amphora. So they're making what's sort of the modern style of natural wine. But this particular one is actually made from Nero Davila. So it's a grape variety from Sicily. And it's a bit fuller, richer. So it's got a little bit more concentration. But also, like like I've been saying with all these wines, bone dry finish. So really crisp, elegant, dry finish, really balanced. It's hard to see the colour in that wine because it's in a dark Bordeaux bottle. It Nymph. is. Nymph. What it a is. great name. Yeah, he does sort of really, all his wines. There's a naked woman on the front. It's a, it's a painting. There's an artist in Sydney. I should be able to tell you her name. But every one of his um, rosé wines is always from a painting from it's a particular beautiful. artist in Sydney. But this wine, so the Brash Higgins 2020 rosé is normally 37 but we can offer it for $31 today. That's fantastic, Tony. So, Corrie, just picture yourself, hot summer's day, sitting in a garden in your favourite place, probably fish or some form of seafood pastas being served. Are we in Provence? There, yes. You might, you might be by the lake, the shores of Lake Como. You, you might be down at the Mornington Peninsula. You might be in Melbourne. Nothing better than a cold, crisp rosé. And we've now talked about th- four, in fact, but three that are being offered by Prince Wines. Prince Wines. So there's the Shadow Facts. No, sorry, not the Shadow Facts. The Medhurst Estate Rosé. Yep. The Sutton Grange Fairbank, which is actually 2019 vintage. And the Brash Higgins Nymph Rosé 2020. Exactly. And can I just say one other thing too? When it's really hot, which we do get a lot of those days, you know, they're over sort of 35 degrees, there is only one wine to drink. Because you can chill it down really well, and it copes with the really cold temperature. It, I, I can I can't so and emphasise enough. It's the only wine to drink when it's really really hot. You're looking at me with such intensity that I'm just <laughs> going to have to give it a whirl. I'll report back at the end of summer tone how we go and um, pop us down for a couple of the French one when it comes through. That okay, sounds we can really do that. Delicious. That's fabulous, Tony. So everybody, that's a cocktail cabinet for today. 
Crush of the week is coming up, but before um, we go to Corrie's Crush, Prince Wine Store, as I said, bringing wine enthusiasts, the greatest wine in the world, to Prince. If you're not in Melbourne, they can deliver Australia-wide. Perfect festive gift options uh, for Christmas, and you can visit Prince Wine Store to do that, .com.au, and use the promo code M-E-S-S in caps, which is us, Corrie. Which is what we'll be after we've had a bottle of to rosé check on out, our own. And when you do that, you'll get the special special listener discount. And you've heard some fabulous ones on the rosés today. Find the links to them in our show notes. And, and Tony, next week you're coming in with, uh, you're going to actually make us a cocktail. So, Caro, I've asked Tony for next week, would he mind giving us our giving listeners the cocktail for summer, the Christmas cocktail. When you arrive at whoever you're going to, their house for Christmas drinks or Christmas Day, Tony's going to actually shake, 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 shake. What time are we recording? 8am. <laughs> Get ready. Shake that booty. See you next week, Tony. Bye, Thank Tony. You. See you, girls. Rosé Appreciation Society, I'm calling it, and Corrie Perkin will be a member soon. But that is not your crush of the week, Corrie. I can't believe I did this, Caro. Last Monday night, uh, last Friday night, and last Sunday night, I sat riveted to the ABC's live cross to the Great Barrier Reef. Hosted, so did I. I hosted, watched a Friday night. Wasn't it wonderful? Hosted by Hamish McDonald, waiting the, for the spawning of the Great Barrier Reef the coral. Air of excitement was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so there we were, waiting, waiting for the sperm to be released from the coral and to be. Um, it's a it's a long time, you know, thousands and millions of years of spawning, which recreates coral, and of course, scientists are crawling all over this in recent years because of the bleaching process and the death of the Great Barrier Reef coral reefs, and so scientists were there on hand. Hamish had a panel. Um, on Sunday night, Carol, it was preceded by a fantastic documentary by David Attenborough called Extinction. So after so, three hours, well, we were just totally, um, we're going to become vegetarians and no That's longer scary, use, isn't it? use plastics. Scary. But hats off to the ABC and the ABC is my crush. When they do something like this, they do it so incredibly well and they do it on such an, a small budget. And for federal governments over many years of both parties to consider and in, indeed take the axe to the budget of the ABC, I think is a scandal. At times, Cara, of national tragedy and trauma like bushfire, where do we go, the ABC? Coronavirus, Norman Swan, it was compulsory viewing every Coronacast, night. Yeah. Oh, every, the great. podcast on, on the 7, 7.30 with Lee Sales on the news each night. There was just no... No other news station came within Cooey, but particularly I just found this Barrier Reef Cross so fascinating, so interesting, and I felt really proud, actually, of not only the ABC but all the young people, the young doctors and professors and scientists and divers who were involved in it. So they are my crush. I yeah, loved it. They dedicated a highly decorated team, didn't they, to cover it? It was <laughs> who would, unbelievable. Who would have thought we'd be sitting there on a Friday night and a Sunday night watching coral spawn? <laughs> I, and that oh, that in, that incredible natural studio was just absolutely beautiful. It was great. Now, book, screen, and food, and you have a book. You can, or you have a couple of books, actually. Oh well, look, look I've finished Jocks Are Wrong, The Burning Island. I love his books, and this is a great. This is the second part that started with preservation. I'm now desperate to read the final instalment. Um, we're going to be having a chat to Jock over the summer, which I'm really looking forward to. How he does it, he's gone on a journey here, and I am desperate 
to visit those. Are they the Ferno mm-hmm. series of islands mm-hmm. and Preservation Island being, you know, one of them? And there were so many wonderful parts to visit there. And I think he spent a lot of time there. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from him about that. But um, the story is a saga. And um, it involves, you know, Indigenous. It's a story of a sea voyage, a story of a father and daughter and the dreadful damage that has happened to both of them as a result of this great tragedy and this evil man who entered the father's life. But um, Mr Fig. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. It is a great and, um, book. Most of it's set on board a ship and I reckon I picked the twist you know, probably a few chapters. Anyway, it's really, really good. Caro, I have to say to people, when when people come into the shop and pick this up, it's one of those few sequels, those few book book series where you say you have to read the first one. Sorry, put that second one down. You have to read the first one. I reckon you could do it as a standalone. Do you think? Yeah, I reckon you could. But, but you don't have the drama of Mr Fig and, no, and it, Joshua's journey. and No, well, it, it, it is better to read the first one. I mean, read all his books. He's great. But I've just finished. I read it in about two days, started it on the plane. Um, the, the, I've never read Sally Hepworth. You know, she's a real beach read expert. This one um, my sister gave me, or it was by my bed up in Sydney, and I started reading it. It's called The Good Sister. It's a story of two sisters and you feel as though there is good and evil in this story and you feel as though there is love and hate. You feel as though there is total support and pure, undriven jealousy. And it is a, it basically the story of one sister who decides to have a baby for her sister who can't have children. But there is so many other elements to this story. There are so many twists and turns. There's memories of the mother who is now, well, certainly not around in the sense she was when they were young. The father who never really was in their lives. It is you cannot put it down. It is an absolute page turner. Well, Sally Hepworth, local author, Cara, is really gaining uh, on the popularity stakes. Her her novels are just increasingly doing doing better sales, better sales. I think she's a major talent. She could end up being like a Leanne Moriarty because I think there's something quite filmic about her stories and her script lines. Yeah, well, this one's set in Melbourne and I, I caught up with our friend, the um, literary agent Fiona Inglis, while I was in Sydney and she was telling me, and I'm going to talk about her next week, about a young, brilliant new writer who is about 24 and... Um, Everyone seems to be compared to Sally Rooney, but, you know, unfortunately she's been a bit of a benchmark. But um, Is that's... it Jessie Chu? No. I can't remember. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I, have to get, I have to get Fiona's permission whether I can talk about it. But anyway, I would really recommend as a good, easy read and very chilling and you actually can't put it down. And then last week we plugged that you were going to talk about a film I'm dying, dying, dying to see, In the Name of the Land. What's it like? Oh, this is a beautiful film. Oh, yay. I can't wait. It's absolutely beautiful. It's it's very sad or a lot of it's very sad. It's actually um, directed by a guy called Edward. Bergeon, I think, B-E-R-G-E-O-N. It's his debut film and it stars a guy called Guillaume Canet as a farmer who actually returns from the US, returns from um, somewhere in, I think, Colorado, Wyoming or somewhere like that and um, buys buys his father's farm from him. But puts him, marries his marries his childhood sweetheart or his long-time girlfriend. He's a handsome, Marlboro man sort of bloke who's back from Wyoming or wherever he's been. He marries his love. He buys this farm, enters into a fairly unusual payback deal with his 
very taciturn and cold and critical father. We watched them over the years from being a successful, happy family. They have a boy and a girl. They were a very close family. And then we watch the downturn and what happens. And this is apparently a genre in France, these films about um, de terre, the land, and um, the plight of farmers in France and what has happened to them and um, what what has led to this terrible downturn. It is the most beautiful film even though it's about an unravelling. And it reminded me a bit of Rams, you know, which I raved about a couple of weeks ago, which has done, seems to be doing great business at the Aussie box office, the new um, Sam Neill, Michael Caton film, Miranda Richardson, which I also recommend. But um, this film, the farmhouse, the, the workers, the beautiful cinematography and the very, very human and tragic family drama, I would absolutely recommend it in the um, name of the land. And you realise at the end that it's actually a true story. Oh, really? When you look at the dedications and you see the shots, the old home movies of the director's family. I mean, he is the director is the son in the film. Oh, I cannot Highly wait. recommend it. Now, Corrie, I'm sitting here with a little bag of goodies and you're going to tell me how to make them in our recipe, our food element of BSS. I am. And... Big thank you to Marg Moffat uh, up in Hamilton Way. Marg and her team at the Napier Club put together each year a Christmas, I guess it's a fundraiser. They all cook up a storm, marmalades, tomato relishes, fruitcakes. I bought a few of those as well. And I bought some packets of Marg Moffat's shortbreads. And um, Despite the triumph of your own shortbread. Well, correct. Several months ago. I tell you what. (laughs) I tell you what, my this Marg's, Marg's shortbreads make mine look like a badly put together Vegemite sandwich. Oh, they were sandwich. beautiful, Corrie. Um, but I've bought one in for you and Miss Jane as a little pre-Christmas gift. And Marg very kindly has sent me the recipe, which I know is not always the done thing. People do like to sometimes keep hold of their recipe, but she's certainly been generous with the podcast, folks. So thanks, Madam Margaret, for these. 250 grams plain flour, 120 grams rice flour, 120 grams caster sugar, 250 grams butter, cream the butter and the sugar, add the vanilla and add the sifted flours. Roll out thinly, cut with whichever cutters you like, bake in a moderate oven 10 minutes and then turn the oven to slow for a further 10 minutes. Marg also suggests that we cut them in a heart-shaped carrow because they're less likely to break there, which is interesting. And then she says, good luck, have a great Christmas. You still haven't been to Hamilton to have lunch at the club with me, which I can't wait to do, Miss Margaret. Thank you for that. So uh, the recipe will be on the show notes. They are light, they are beautiful, and they are perfectly balanced with the butter and sugar. So um, that's... Marg Moffat's shortbreads. And they're beautifully packaged, Corrie, with a lovely red and white white ribbon, so that's very kind of you. There you are. So just getting into the Christmas spirit, you ladies. Now, Caro, six quick questions, I reckon. Um, now, Can't I we? be grumpy first? Oh, yes, you can. I lost my running <laughs> sheet place. It was upside down. Yep, off you go. Be grumpy. What have you got to be grumpy about? Last weekend, the Wallabies sang the national anthem, an oh, indigenous yes. version of the national anthem, and pretty much everybody on the day and on the offsiders on the ABC and in the news that night, they were playing Argentina, were saying what a wonderful gesture. They actually learnt the words and, you know, it was great. I was listening to um, 3AW a few days later and Tom Elliott, who's a good bloke, I've worked with Tom, Tom... Look, I thought he's going to find something to complain about here, and of course he did. He linked 
the players learning the words to the indi- this Indigenous version of the National Anthem to the fact that it was a draw against a team we used to be a lot better than in Argentina, that maybe we should focus more on winning than worrying about learning the words to one of the many Indigenous dialects of the National Anthem. Which dialect are we going to sing when we do it next time? Are we going to have to do different versions of different parts of, you know, th- there are so many different Indigenous languages. Which one are we going to learn for the next time? I mean, what is the point of this? I just thought, Tom, how mm. could you find fault? You may have missed the news last week, Carol. Andrew Bolt has decided he's leaving Victoria. I wonder whether Tom Elliott is looking to take the <laughs> grumpy old man mantle from Andrew Bolt. I mean, Bolt. seriously, I just thought... That is just so churlish and tragic, Tom. I'm was... with you. I'm, I'm, I'm piling onto your crush here. Well, it's not a crush. It's actually. Oh, sorry, a grumpy, a grumpy. <laughs> um, Tom's a good bloke, but I don't have a crush on him. No, I just, I just thought that was um, an unnecessary, picky thing to do. Yes. Nobody is suggesting that there is one indigenous language. No one is suggesting that this is going to happen every time. But I do not see anything wrong with what they did. I thought it was great, and I don't think that's the reason they didn't win. Anyway, six quick questions. Okay, Caro, what's the best walk you have done this year? I did it last week, Corrie, in oh. Sydney as a recce for the Cornish Walkers. Our friend Mary and I embarked from Clontarf to Manly. My sister just said, you have to do this, you have to do this. And um, in the end, um, no one was available to do it with us, but we were very happy to do it ourselves. We navigated our way. How many kilometres? Uh, Ten. Yep. Um, we did it, it. It's actually, you walk from Clontarf to Manly. It is, you do it round the, round the coast, round the harbour. There are Aboriginal artefacts artifacts, there are um, wild orchids, there's beach, there's a little bit of suburban, there's beautiful, beautiful harbour views looking straight over to um, like the Bathers Pavilion at Balmoral, looking straight through the heads, looking over at Camp Cove and you end up at the start of Manly. It's probably about 8 k's to the Manly Ferry Wharf and then you walk another 2 k's to that beautiful little Shelley Beach there where there's a little cafe called the Boathouse. And so just for anyone going to Sydney who's interested, what do you do? How do you actually transport yourself to the start and the end? How did you do it? Well, we were going to get the Manly Ferry to Manly and walk the other way, but my sister said it's nicer to walk from Clontarf. So we went down to the Clontarf little there's a little marina wharf and a, and a bit car park there. We actually borrowed a car, but you could have I don't know what you could have done, but we, we borrowed my sister's car and we parked there, lovely little kiosk on the beach, bought a coffee, headed off on our walk. Um, it wasn't too hot on the day we did it. And um, when we got to Manly and had the, we had a late breakfast at this lovely cafe, we then went up to the, um, the car park, ordered an Uber back to our car. Great. And we left home, we left Sydney um, we started the walk at about nine and we ended it, – it, it, we did it – you know, we didn't sort of do fast walking, but we also didn't stop that much. It was just over two hours. It was absolutely beautiful. Perfect. What about you? What's your best walk? My best walk for 2020 and, boy, have there been a lot of them. <clears throat> Still haven't been to Kew, but I'm sure Kew will be right up there and I hope to get there in the next couple Kew's of weeks. Kew's been waiting for some Kew, time. Kew is just going, where's <laughs> Corey? When are you coming to visit? The Red Hill Trail, Caro. This Red Hill Trail I did with Anita um, between lockdowns, which must have been, when was that? June, I guess. Yep. Gosh, a long time ago. It's 6.5 kilometres and it's a pretty straight grassy track, a bit hilly, but it's mainly grass and it runs from whichever way you want to go, 
from the Red the Merrick's Red Hill store, <clears throat> just um, near the on the Frankston Flinders Road, and you head inland and you end up at Red Hill, where you can have a rather nice coffee at the Red Hill cellar and pantry. Uh, it is beautiful. Either side of this walkway are very interesting um, farms and architecture, lots of animals, beautiful um, scenery. Highly recommend it over summer. That is the Red Hill Trail. And you can actually, if you go onto the Mornington Peninsula website, um, you can call it up and see where you have to go. Caro, uh, last week, the Jean-Paul Gaultier, remember the conical bra outfit that Madonna wore during her 1990 Blonde Ambition tour? It fetched £32,000 at a Christie's auction. And I was wondering, was there a rock or movie icon who influenced your clothing back in the day? Well, not the conical bra. Oh, um, you would have rocked a conical I, bra. I was dreaming. I was dreaming at the time, but definitely um, Diane Keaton in Annie Hall. I loved. I her think gear. a few of us did that. I just wore well, the, the tie and the shirt and a big floppy hat. The floppy hat. <laughs> I did that. The waistcoat, <laughs> the the baggy pants. Absolutely loved it. And then briefly, I was a bit of a new romantic. I loved all that white lacy stuff as well. Um, Forty years, Corrie. Speaking of um, anniversaries. Went uh, since John Lennon was shot outside um, the Dakota apartment in Manhattan. What was your favourite? Oh, I still remember that <gasps> Me day. Me too. I was in my Datsun 120Y outside the Alfred Hospital, stuck in traffic. I remember it that clearly. I was working at TV Scene as part of my cadetship at the Herald, and I was in the office. And um, I remember my brother was at home and said to mum that John Lennon had been shot, and mum started crying, and we thought, oh, you know. We knew she liked the Beatles, but, you know, not that much. She thought he'd said John Landy was shot. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not laughing at that. And I remember seeing John Landy somewhere at some footy thing years later and telling him that story. He said, who'd want to shoot me? (laughs) Anyway... Corrie, I'm asking you, aren't I? What's your favourite John Lennon song? Well, Carol, you'd have... (laughs) Sorry, John. Um... You'd have to say imagine, Carol. I, I do love imagine. The words are beautiful. You have to say imagine. And well, you don't. Then, ha- I've got another one, but oh, you okay. go on. Okay. And then I would add to that, I know we only said one, but gosh, where do you end with John Lennon and then he was Lennon and McCartney and all that sort of thing. But I would have to say as a solo career, I love Jealous Guy. I think that is just a most perfect song. And then when he was with the Beatles, he was responsible, no, um, no Paul McCartney, for A Day in the Life, which was on the Sgt Pepper. Album, which is so epic and so narrative, so they would probably be my pick of the crop. What about you? Help! Oh. I love her. I know it's a pop song, but it's one of the best pop oh, songs. Oh, you're allowed to have a pop song. It's the best pops, one of the best ever written, with um, special mention to Across the Universe, which I, you know, in looking it up the other day, I found out was actually written after an argument with Cynthia. I didn't know that. Yeah, what, anyway. are the wor- what are the words again of that? Words are flowing. Something like a something into a paper cup. Oh, they slither while they. Oh yeah, It's yeah, the most yeah. beautiful song. It's from the Let It Be album, ah, and of course he wrote All You Need Is Love too, which is just absolutely a, you know one of the great yeah, iconic yeah, songs yeah. of the twentieth century. Corrie, which phrase of twenty twenty do you never want to hear again? This is not Corona related, Carol. You'll be pleased to hear. This phrase came to me the other day when I tried to buy a dress online which wasn't in my size. So I contacted the, it's I think it's Daughters of India or whoever they were, and said, oh, do you have this in my size? And they came back saying, dear Corrie, thank you for reaching out to us. Carol, I didn't reach out. 
I tried to buy a I reckon, flipping dress. I reckon you, you didn't want to hear this again last year. And yeah. you, you've, you've doubled I'm down. I'm it up again. <laughs> I, I'm doing a Donald Trump. Really? I just want to know if you got my size. I'm not reaching out to anyone. Yeah, really? Re- reaching out has become really overused. And on that note... We're going to say goodbye for another week. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. All oh, that lovely rosé, Corrie. Thank you to all of our listeners. Rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It really helps other people find the show. Thank you for your feedback and comments via our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And the email, please, feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. We love hearing from you and Corrie. Oh, that's my cue. Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. This episode has been proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS, as in messenger, at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount.